well, if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. Amen. Even when we don't see it, He's working. Even when we don't feel it, He's working. And we, that's our belief. That's our confidence today. And uh, I'm just excited to be here with you guys and uh, just cracking open the Word together. I want to say hello to everybody that's uh, with us online. We're glad you're with us as well. And uh, we're going to just dive right into Scripture here in just a minute. You know, there's been a lot of talk. I've heard this word that I didn't even know existed before, this social distancing word. Right? It's like a, I, I'm sure it was a word before, a thing before, but it seems like in the past couple weeks, this has been the word, the buzzword, and uh, for good reason. But it has me thinking about all the ways that we interact, right? All the ways that we greet one another, and uh, we have all kinds of different ways to greet one another. All of us have a go-to, I think, greeting that we're sort of in the moment trying to figure out, like, should I be doing that thing or not doing that thing? And so uh, I just want to know if this is, and I know right now a lot of this is not your typical greeting, but is this your go-to greeting, all right? Because we all have have it. We all have our go-to greeting. Uh, so how many of you, because I have to just like know this because my wife tells me that nobody else is greeting people this way anymore um, in this era, but I, I still, I still, the high five. Anybody still like a good high five? Like just throw it up there. I'm, I'm coaching people. They hit a PR or something. High five is where I'm at. Like just, you know, and Jess is like nobody, nobody high fives anymore. But I see there's a couple of you that still do, so I'm glad to know that. Uh, for guys, um, the bro hug. Anybody like the bro Hug. The bro hug is like, hey, I'm going to come in for a hug, but I'm also, we're bros, so I'm just going to give you the little tap on the back to make, you know, it's all good. And uh, so the bro hug is one. Uh, how many of you guys, you like fist bumpers? Where's the fist bump people? And it's like, just throw it out there, you know, my man right there. And uh, some of you take that fist bump to the next level and, you know, and we love to do this with our kids. Like, okay, fist bump, then you, you blow it up, you know, because that's super cool and exciting. And uh, somebody one time, I gave them a fist bump and they said, paper covers rock. You know, I'm like, what? Like, I don't, you know, don't do that. I had a friend one time that was, he was like, this dude was crazy, by the way, you're going to know, but he would headbutt people. That's the way he would greet people. He'd come up to you, he'd grab your head, he'd just crack you one real quick. I'm like, all right, like, I feel like more of a man, I think, and I also have a headache, so thank you for that. Uh, where are my huggers at in the room? And you guys are having the hardest time right now, right? Because you just want to come in, and you're like, no, I can't, not right now, you know, I can't right now, and so you just have to go with the air, I saw some air hugs on the way in, and that's good, I love that we're all playing our part in that way. Uh, I'm bringing back one of my favorites for the next month, and, uh, or however long it takes, um, but back in my day, and, uh, you know, and Kenny might know, like back in the halls of the Lakota schools back in our day, there was this thing that was just the nod. It was like, you just walk by somebody as one of your bros or one of your friends, just give them the nod, you know, and it's just a simple way with that nod to say, I see you, you know, I feel you, and uh, you know, there's just this connection that is made just with a simple nod, and so if you're looking for a, a socially acceptable at the moment social distancing method, I would recommend the nod. It's good, and it's just, you know, I see you, I feel you, I'm with you, and, uh, and I think that is an important message for people right now. Well, as we talk about social distancing and this really being a buzzword, here's a thought that I have, and I think it's really kind of the, the, the message that we want to communicate today and lean into is that we have an opportunity to remember this time not just for social distancing, but for spiritual strengthening. Because even when we don't see it, he's working, right? Even when we don't feel it, he's working. And so this moment right now in time is an opportunity for us for spiritual strengthening if we would lean into it 
You know, challenging times are a window for a deeper encounter with God, even on a personal level. And hopefully some questions are being raised and uh, some conversations are being maybe uh, begun again with God. And that's really what I'm praying for. I'm hoping for and believing uh, will come of this um, as we face some challenges together uh, as a country. And, uh, you know, as God would have it, interestingly enough, right, you know, he is working, and we were already talking about prayer today. We were already talking about the good shepherd today. We were already talking about this relationship, this connection that we have with God. And so I love that today I get to teach uh, to you right out of John 10. If you guys have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, But we are really talking about this interaction that we have with God, this connection that we have with God, and how we can greet God, how we can meet with God, how we can grow in relationship with God, how we can experience spiritual strengthening in a time when we're talking about social distancing. And so go ahead and turn in your scriptures there, and um, and we're going to talk about that. You know, my son the other day, and uh, he's always got great questions, a lot of which I don't have good answers for, especially because they come around at bedtime, like when we're settling down. It's like he knows that's the time to ask dad a very probing theological question. Is like, now's the time. Like, ask him. You know, he's been saving it all day. And the one that he asked me not too long ago was, and it's a question I think a lot of us have raised before, if we can't see God, how can we talk to God? It's like such a good question. I'm like, all right, hey, just go to bed. You know, that, no, I didn't say that. You know, like a good father, what I actually told him was, uh, hey, Aiden, turn to page 173 in elementary discipleship. Um, you'll find, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't really say that. But there is some answers there on page 173 in elementary discipleship. You haven't gotten there. And we're going to be uh, talking about this image that we've kind of created to help us understand detecting the voice of God, interacting with God. And um, so there's really this two-way interaction that we're invited into via prayer. And one side of the conversation looks like this, as God speaks to us. And you kind of see the sound waves as if they're coming from the mouth of God. And we wanted this to be something visually, a concept that we could grasp. Uh, but as we talk about this, we see these different avenues, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are some of the primary ways that we believe that we can hear and detect the voice of God. And so the Holy Spirit being one of those, as God convicts us, as God challenges us through His Spirit and presses things upon our hearts to uh, respond to. Uh, We talk about experiences as the E, and these being these experiences where we just feel, even like this moment, right, this present moment, where God is interacting with us through a difficulty or a challenge or an experience in our life where heaven meets earth or heaven uh, meets us in those moments. Uh, We talk about advice, and this being, you know, godly advice, that we can seek advice from spirit-led people, and God speaks through that avenue or through that method. And, uh, and then one of the ways that we talk about primarily being kind of that last filter through which we filter all the rest of these is reading God's Word, that God's Word is a vehicle and the primary vehicle for us to understand His Word. And so God is a personal God. He's one who wants to interact with His children. And one of the ways that we see Him describe this relationship between, and Jesus particularly um, described this relationship between Him and us, is the sheep and the shepherd. And so that's really the backdrop of this conversation, is Jesus using this metaphor of sheep and shepherd to help us understand this opportunity that we have for interaction with Him, this opportunity that we have to strengthen our relationship with Him. So let's read that together. In John 10. And Jesus says this. He says, Truly, truly, 
I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls the sheep, his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So he continues on. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by my name, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is the hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. There was again division among them and the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon, is an insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of a man who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes? the blind. And so as we lean into that text here just a little bit, there's some things that as we tap into this power of prayer that are happening uh, in this interaction between us and God, things that are vital to us as we strengthen our relationship with him, as we, uh, as we live in uh, this moment that we find ourselves in today. And the first is this, that there's this opportunity for knowing. There's this opportunity for knowing, and prayer primarily is a relational exchange, right? It's not just, hey, here's my agenda, God. Would you go ahead and take care of these things? Would you knock that list out for me and get back to me when that's done? And we sit around waiting, and we get impatient as those things aren't happening, right? No, that's not the essence of prayer. The essence of prayer is just as if you would have an interaction with any other person or relationship with any other person— Interaction is what boosts that, that relationship, right? And so we have an opportunity through prayer to understand that prayer is personal, that relationship is the point of prayer. It's not about achieving our own agenda with God. It's about renewing our relationship with God. You know, we're every, with every one of our kids, Jess and I have had this unspoken race that's happening, and that's to see if the baby is going to say dada or mama first. And it's, 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 we, we don't always talk about it, but it's happening, right? And I can hear her in the other room sometimes just be like, Jude, hey, Jude, mama, mama. And then I'll do the same thing when she's like, hey, Jude, dada. And right now he just cracks up laughing every time we do it. He thinks this is the most ridiculous thing ever, and he's not, do, he's not answering either. And uh, so, so we're trying to do that. We're trying to be the one that he calls out by name first. And, uh, you know, the truth is, even if he says dada, I've already come to grips, at least with this stage of his life, that he loves his mama more than me. 
He just does. I, I just have to. You might not say that's true and just might not be, oh, that's not true. You know, he loves you. But he, it's just obvious. Like, he just loves. She walks in the room, and he gives me a smile when I walk into the room. But when she walks in the room, like, <laughs> like, he gets so excited. He, like, hyperventilates, and he gets excited. And if mama's in the room and dada's holding, who's he looking at the whole time? I'm not trying to talk to him. Like, well, mom's over here, you know? Like, hey, buddy, dada's here, too. I, I have feelings, too, you know? Look at me. Like, look over here. I'm here. But I can't argue with the fact that, and this is something we've talked about when it comes to prayer, and we've talked about this element, um, the more, they've spent more time together, right? And as she's feeding him all the time, she's the one that spent those late nights with him, you know, and this is the price that I pay for sleeping while she's in there, you know, uh, doing this motherly, honorable duty. And, uh, but they've just had this bond that has built in this stage of life. And one of the things that we've talked about when it comes to prayer is that frequency builds familiarity. Frequency builds familiarity. And so if we, the reason the Bible says pray without ceasing is because if we want to get familiar with the good shepherd, it's going to take frequency. And you might not, you're like, I don't really know. Those things sound good up on the board, the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to detect the voice of God. Well, it starts by continuing to, to come to God with greater frequency, finding a pattern, a rhythm for that. You know, one of the dangers that I encounter in my position is, and I think all of us do in one way or another is, you know, in a lot of ways, Jesus is my job, right? Like, that's what I do. I read the words so that I can teach the word, or I read the words so that I can help, you know, draw people in and inspire people with the word of God and help to challenge people. And usually as I go through that process, I'm challenged too. But one of the things I constantly have to remind myself is that Jesus is my joy. He's not my job. Jesus is my joy. He's not my job. And that goes for you too. Primarily, it's not so much about what all the things that, that we want God to do or even that God wants us to do. Those are an outflowing of Jesus just being our joy. And now because Jesus is my joy, I want to do the best job that I possibly can serving him, following him, and following in his footsteps. And so there is this knowing that is really a key aspect of prayer. The second thing I think is really important here, and we see as a theme all throughout this text, is that there is an aspect of listening that happens, right? That there is a, and for a, a lot of us, it's, prayer is only one side. It's like, I'm talking. Like, there's not a lot of listening that's happening, but I'm just talking. And so it takes a little bit more concentration and effort to take a step back and to hear God's voice, to listen. And it tells us this in verses 3 through 5. It says, he calls his own sheep by name. How cool is that? There is this personal connection that God calls us by name. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They follow him because they already know him. They have an established relationship with him. So that knowing is important. But then the next stage would be that we actually listen to the voice. And they don't follow the voice of a stranger. In fact, they will run from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. You know, one of the things that Jess has learned living with me and living with somebody with ADD is she needs to make sure she has my eyes, right? <laughs> she has my ears. And some of you are like young, you, you know, you're teachers of young kids, you know the same thing. You say, eyes on me, eyes on me, you know? I need your eyes and your ears right now, you know? Because as much as I might be, you might give the impression that I'm listening— I'm not listening if I'm not looking at you, right? We have to establish this focus. And so there's this connection to where are, are we fixating, right? And what we're focused on, and then our ability to hear and to listen, right? There is a connection between our eyes and our ears in that sense. And so we need to be thinking about what are we fixating on? You know, the example that we give in the book, that I give in the book is, and we kind of live halfway between 
you know, Cincinnati and Dayton. And I don't know if this is, a, and I'm still, I still listen to the classic radio, like the radio station, right? I'm still high-fiving people, and I'm still listening to the radio, like the actual, you know, FM stations. But one of the things that you notice if you live kind of where we live is there's a signal that comes from Dayton, and there's a signal that comes from Cincinnati. And sometimes you're caught squared right in the middle of it. And the station will just change over. Like, we'll be like, one minute I'll be, you know, worshiping. We'll be singing some Waymaker, and then the next minute, all of a sudden, there's like this mariachi band. It's like, what's going on? Like, there's this like conflicting signal that's going on, you know? And what we're told here is that those that have this interaction with God, what's happening is um, that they're tuning into the shepherd, and they're tuning out the stranger. We're tuning in the shepherd, and we're tuning out the stranger. Well, how do you do that? The same way if I actually wanted to pick up that signal better in Cincinnati. The closer that I get to Cincinnati or to that signal tower, that signal grows stronger, right? And so what Jesus is saying here, listen, they run from the stranger and they run to the shepherd. And so as we do that, as we run to the shepherd and run away from the stranger, we get to hear him more clearly in our lives. His voice, the volume um, continues to, to, to raise when it, when it comes to the shepherd. And just to give you kind of a picture of those two different voices, if you're just kind of wondering, like, okay, well, how do I know if I'm listening to the stranger, I'm listening to the shepherd? Well, the stranger... We see right here in the text that what happens when the stranger comes along? It elicits chaos and confusion. The more that we listen to the stranger, the more there's chaos and confusion and turmoil, right? The shepherd's voice is different. Instead, the shepherd instills confidence and con contentment, right? Even amidst whatever circumstances, the shepherd instills confidence and contentment. And right now, we know this. If we're not proactive in this, the voice of the stranger will overpower and by the way, I'm not discounting hearing information and getting information. I've been listening and trying to be up to date on what's happening. I think we should do that. The problem was a lot of this week, I was, I was listening to a lot of stuff on the radio. I was listening to a lot of news. And finally, I get little notifications on my phone. So I was like, let's turn off the news notifications here for just a little while, right? Because right now, I'm not even hearing the shepherd. It's like all, I'm just allowing these other voices to continue to take over. And so what I'm telling you today is it's one thing to be aware. It's another thing to be obsessed. It's another thing to fixate on something. That's not the work of the shepherd when we fixate on something. God wants us to be prepared. God wants us to be a people who are aware. But God does not want us to fixate on other things. From a podcast I listened to just this past week, um, Mark Sayers, uh, who's a leader that I love to listen to, he's in Melbourne, Australia. He says, focus is worship. What I focus on, I worship. Eyes, right? My eyes are connected to my ears. What I focus on, I worship. What I focus on, I begin to listen to. And so he asked this question that I think is a pretty good probing and honest question, and that's, what if the devil's scheme is simply to steal attention away from God, to rob our focus? What if that is really the work of the stranger in this scenario? And so it's our job to continue to evaluate what are we focused on, what are we fixating on? I love Mary Oliver's line. She says, attention is the beginning of adoration. If we're going to adore the good shepherd— we have to understand that attention, what, what has our attention is really the beginning of adoration. And so, um, you know, some of us, we have some extra time on our hands right now. So let me just encourage you. Again, if this is going to be an opportunity for spiritual strengthening, I would encourage you to, uh, to, to grab hold of, and, and there's a great uh, book uh, uh, by Arthur Bors that talks about focal practices. And what he's talking about is these focusing practices that really were kind of all throughout Christendom that 
can be kind of elusive in our day, and one of those being meditative prayer, one of those being scripture memorization, one of those being, um, you know, having increasing your conversation with people who possess the qualities of God that you want to possess, right? Having interaction. This is how we turn up the voice of the shepherd. We tune into the voice of the shepherd. Silence, stillness, Sabbath. These are practices that are important for us if we want to hear the still small voice of God in our lives. Listening is important. Listening is important to this conversation. Listening gives way to trusting. It gives way to trusting. And Jesus says, I mean, flat out, this is a, this concept right now, if you can wrap your head and your heart around this concept and truly believe it, that Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says, listen, I am the good shepherd, but here, let me give you some proof. And he prophetically talks about what's about to happen, that I am the good shepherd, and here's how. And it must have been just crazy for them at that moment. I mean, what do you mean that the sheep lay, that the shepherd lays down his, you know, life for the sheep? What does that mean? But what he's talking about is Calvary, right? He's talking about this moment in time where he will step between us and death. And he says, listen, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he's the hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. And so there's this contrast between the good shepherd and the hired hand, and he's differentiating himself from the hired hand. And the most, diff- most notable difference here is that the hired hand runs away when things get dicey. Right? The, things are getting messy and dicey, and you're not going to find the hired hand. He's out the door. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to step in in those moments of crisis. I'm going to be available in those moments, and I'm going to step in even when it's a matter of life and death. Here I am. The hired hand runs. The shepherd puts himself between the sheep and the wolf. That's our good shepherd, the one that stands between us and the wolf. You see, Our confidence doesn't need to be shaken because our confidence is in the cross. It's in Calvary. It's in that reality that Jesus gave his life. He laid his life down for each and every one of these, one of you in this room, each and every one of you online, each and every one of the people on this earth, that if they would acknowledge him and come to know him. You know, there are a lot of places that we run to because what we're, I think we're seeking right now is like a sense of confidence. Like, I just want some—give me some confidence. Like, give me some confidence. And I think one of the things that this is exposed is kind of what we put our confidence in. Now, I think there's—it's okay to put some confidence in different things, right? But what has our true—at the end of the day, what is our full confidence in? You know, if, if this has done anything else, it's reminded us of that. It's not the CDC— as much as the CDC is important and plays an important role, it doesn't have my ultimate confidence at the end of the day. I think they're doing a great job. They're doing the best job they can. It's not the economy. I can't put my confidence in the economy right now, right? If your confidence was in your portfolio, you don't have a lot of confidence right now. It's not in the stock market. It's not in our policymakers at the end of the day. That's not to say that we can't be confident in those people. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me wrong here. What I'm saying is that's not our ultimate source of confidence. Human institutions can only take us so far. People can only take us so far. Those things fluctuate, but one thing remains unshakable. Our good shepherd. Our confidence is in the cross. It's a constant reminder of who our shepherd is and allows us to put our trust in him. 
Mark Moore points out in Psalm uh, that Psalm 23, which is one that we're very familiar with, I'll read it here in just a second, is preceded by Psalm 22. So Psalm 23, the psalm of the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is preceded by Psalm 22, which is the psalm of the lamb. And the psalm of the lamb is one of the clearest depictions of Calvary outside the Gospels, and it contains that phrase, my God, my God, why have you, I, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus is referencing David on the cross, right? And we see this prophetic phrase that Jesus will speak on the cross. And so he utters those words. And interestingly, as he utters those words from the cross, he in and of himself is the answer to that question. That God hasn't forsaken us. That God through Calvary has met with us. He stood between us and the wolf. And it's in Jesus' death that he demonstrates that we are never forsaken, never forgotten. Our strength is found in acknowledging, as King David did in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or as the old hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale. My anchor holds within the veil. Listening leads to trusting, which leads to transforming. And I feel like that's really the opportunity that we have in this is an opportunity for transformation as a church as individuals as families just as Stephen said earlier this is an opportunity for repentance this is an opportunity for God to purify us to change us which is one of the primary functions of prayer in verse 14 Jesus assures us the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest the good shepherd wants you to experience life experience it to the fullest and what that means is one of the things that god wants to change as painful as it is is you that person in the mirror and, you know i set out this year and i've shared this before i set out this year that i would spend time literally walking with god because i'm too distracted sometimes just to sit and be like i'm gonna have an hour of prayer so walking with him allows me to to get out there in nature and walk and spend time talking with him you know, I didn't really know what to expect going into that, but one of the things that I've found is, and I've learned through that, is prayer changes everything, especially us. Especially us. And as much as I don't always want it to be about me in prayer, I feel like God's doing something in the inner landscaping of my life. And it's a beautiful thing that happens, this transformation that could happen if we would lean into the voice, but also use the voice that God has given us with him. I mean, what a remarkable thing. What a transforming power we possess in prayer. So we give God a voice in our life, but you know that you have a voice with him as well. How unimaginable that we would have an audience with the king of heaven. So here's my challenge. Use your voice. Use your voice. God has given you a voice, so use your voice. Don't leave that power untapped in your life. Pray without ceasing because prayer changes everything, especially us. Especially us. God wants to do an inner work in your life. He wants to do an inner work 
in your family? Would you invite the Good Shepherd into your life in that way? And what we see is, what we will see is, what Paul tells us in Hebrews now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we've given this other side of the conversation here, this other side of the interaction. As we use our voice with God, we visualize it this way, and this isn't unique to us, but we find it valuable, and you can see this two-way interaction here. But, and this is really based on the Lord's Prayer when the disciples are like, teach us how to pray. Jesus says, okay, well, these aspects are aspects of prayer that are important as we praise God. As we say, God, you're on the throne. God, you are mighty. God, you are holy. We praise God in prayer. We repent through prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, we know that there's things that we need to confess and repent of, and so prayer allows us to do that. We ask for daily bread. That doesn't mean we're going to necessarily always have monthly bread or this big stockpile of bread, but God is going to allow us as we depend on him. He's going to provide for our needs day by day, moment by moment. And we might have to remember that in these next days. Like, it's, it might be a day by day thing that we're just trusting in God's strength for that day. Just give me hope for today. And so we, we ask because God wants us to ask. You do not receive because you do not ask, the Bible says. So are we asking? And then lastly, this idea of yielding, your kingdom come, your will. God, we just want what you want. Out of this moment in time, on a personal level, God, we just want what you want in our lives. We want your will to be done. We want your kingdom to become, to come. So God, would you do that? And so this is really the model for prayer. And we're going to spend a couple moments doing that here in just a little bit. But I want to just kind of finish up this idea. And uh, I've shared before about C.S. Lewis and the book Screwtape Letters, how uh, there's this great line that I love that I always think about when I think about prayer. And it's this older, wiser demon speaking to this young apprentice demon is really kind of the premise of the book. And one of the lines that he uses is he's telling the younger demon that who's out there on the front lines, is, listen, here's what you're going to find. Where there is prayer, there is danger. Where there is prayer, there is danger. Where there is prayer, there is danger to the enemy. Where there is prayer, there is danger to the efforts of the enemy in your life, in your family, and in our world. So we mount up in prayer. We mount up in prayer because prayer takes us from defenseless, which many of us feel like right now, to dangerous. We are no longer defenseless when we pray. Prayer makes us dangerous. Erwin Manis, he has a great story in his book, seizing your divine moment about sending his son Aaron off to camp. He says, Aaron was just a little guy, and I was kind of glad because it was a church camp. I figured he was going to hear all about, he, was, he wasn't going to hear any of these ghost stories because ghost stories can't really cause a kid to have nightmares. But unfortunately, since it was a Christian camp, uh, they didn't tell ghost stories because we don't believe in ghosts. They told demon and Satan stories instead. And so when Aaron got home, he was terrified. And that first night, Aaron asked his dad to stay in the room with him. He said, Daddy, I'm afraid, Aaron said. They told all these stories about demons, and McManus said he wanted to tell his son that they're not real, but he couldn't say that, and Aaron pleaded, Daddy, Daddy, would you pray for me that I would be safe? In that plea, McManus said he heard a desire for that kind of warm blanket Christianity that too many people assume is all there is to it. So he said to him, Son, Aaron, I will not pray for you to be safe. I will pray that God will make you dangerous. It's 
so dangerous that the demons will flee when you enter the room. And Aaron said, all right, but pray I would be really, really dangerous, Daddy. And at the end of the story, McManus asked, have you ever come to that place in your own life where you stop asking God to give you a safe existence and start asking him to make you a dangerous follower of Jesus? And that is our heart. That's the heart of elementary discipleship. That's the heart of this church. That's been our prayer at Axis, that God would continue to raise up dangerous followers of Jesus in a time of defenselessness, that God would make us really, really dangerous. And the best way that we can be dangerous is by taking on the posture of prayer in what seems like defenseless times. And so we're going to do, just for the next little bit of time here, we're continuing just to create this culture and lean in. We feel like one of the main things God's been leading us to is just back to our knees in prayer. And uh, we've had a great, some great prayer opportunities here at church. We've had some nights of worship and prayer. Many of you guys have participated through prayer and fasting. And keep it up. Because the more we pray, the more dangerous we become in defenseless times. And so we're going to pray, and we're really going to just walk through that model of prayer. I'm going to walk you through the P-R-A-Y. And if you're with us at home, I just encourage that you take some time with your family or whoever's with you today and lean in with us on this. Uh, as we talk through some of these things. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you just a little bit of time uh, to pray uh, in, in, in that same uh, vein. And then we'll, we'll close in prayer together and, and worship with one more song together. Let's go to God in prayer. God, first, we just want to come just in a moment of praise. And so, God, I just pray that right now in these next moments, God, that you would hear our voice as we use our voice, as we use our voice now, just in our quiet moments, to praise you for all that you are. You haven't changed since yesterday. You haven't changed since a month ago. You are the same today, God. You are the same God who is a God of strength, a God who sits on the throne. So we just lean in to praise you right now for a moment or two. God, I just want to praise you right now. God, I want to lift up the name of Jesus that is unlike any other name. There is no one like the name of Jesus. You are the good shepherd. You care for the sheep, God. And we are humbled that you have given us a voice, God. We want to use that voice to lift up a prayer of praise. There is no one like you, Jesus. There is no one like you, God. And so we just praise your holy name. Though the earth give way, God, you stand strong. You are firm. You are the God Almighty. No words that we could muster right now would be enough, God, to communicate and to convey to you our adoration, our love for you. God, we just praise your holy name. Hallelujah. We praise your holy name. God, next, we just want to take a moment, and we see this as an opportunity, as every day is an opportunity, but right now we see this opportunity to repent, God. So I just pray that even on a personal level, we would confess the things that maybe we're afraid of, the anxieties that we have, the things that, God, are not from you, but are from the stranger, God. We want to just offer those things up to you and let you know, God, and we thank you that you receive us as we are. 
So help us just to be honest for a moment or two, God, and, and just repent of some things, maybe in our home, in our own personal life, within our church. God, we pray that you continue to purify us. our debts, Lord Jesus, as we forgive our debtors. God, we want to ask. You tell us to ask. You tell us to come boldly before the throne, not as strangers, but as the sheep that you call by name. So God, we come to you as your children. We know that you hear our voice. We know that you've given us a voice. And so God, I just pray for those that are suffering today. I pray for those that are afraid. I pray that you would give strength to those who are afraid today, God. I pray that you would give peace amidst uncertain times and circumstances. We need those things, God. We need that provision. I pray that you would continue to provide provision for those that need food right now. I pray, God, that you would provide these needs day by day, that you would allow us to not be so inward focused, that we're so worried about protecting, but that we could think about how we might be able to help those around us, God. We're asking that you would give us that strength and ability, that you would provide for us in a way that we could be generous with others, God. We're asking this, God, and we're asking, God, that you would heal our land, that you would heal our people, that it would be you that does that, that it would be your intervention, God, and your efforts above all else, God, that we could look to and know that this was you, God, delivering us from a difficult time. And so we're praying that, we're asking that. And God, we want to just yield to you. And so God, in these moments, I just, I want to provide a few moments for us just to do that, to just in our own way, God, quietly pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. can't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working, God. We believe that you are working, God. Would you carry out your great work? Whatever your agenda is, whatever your purpose is, God, we want that. We want more of you, God. We want more of your presence in this place. We want more of your presence in our lives and in our families. We want heaven to continue to take over earth, God. Would you do that? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen.